on today's episode of Fauda. It was my first experience running at the Lebanese National Championship and I won the 100 meters and the 200 meters. And everyone's like, who's this girl? <laughs> like, where'd she come from? The person with the highest number of points in Lebanon gets to go to the Olympics, you know? So that's why I'm saying, and so far, it's between me and my training partner. I remember when I was 14 years old, it had been eight years since I had seen my mom. Yeah. Eight yeah, years? Yeah, it took that wow. long, so this is... I think being put in an environment or in a class with people who aren't really exposed to diversity was the 100%. hard part, you know? It does not affect me when people call me Selenkiye as if it's a bad thing. The word Selenkiye or the nationality Selenkiye is like... It's a nationality. It's a nationality. <laughs> have a beautiful... Hello again. Now we can start to fish. Very nice to have you. We've yeah. been told by a bunch of people like you need to get someone in the sports world on. You need to get someone in the sports world on. And we've got the fastest woman in Lebanese, Lebanese history, history, which is amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, basically, how the hell did that all happen? How did you become the fastest woman in Lebanese? Did you grow up saying I'm going to become the fastest woman in Lebanese history? It's crazy because. I don't think as a youngster I ever thought I would be that because first of all I started playing basketball at school so that was my number one sport and it wasn't until the year I was about to graduate from school that I was kind of like made to choose um, in a sense Yane and know do you want to continue on the basketball route or would it be track and field I had experiences at school in track and field because we used to travel with Sabis every year to the different locations around the world. So Jordan, Abu Dhabi, Egypt. And um, I would win every single race in my basketball shoes, basically. Mm. So I'd finish like basketball game. Okay, Al-Aziza. Mm. And then they'd all be like, when is she graduating? <laughs> so um, anyway, so I decided like, okay, I'll take this seriously and stuff like that. And it wasn't to like, 10 years of training till mm. I actually broke the record, the 100 mm. meter uh, record. Mm. Mm. And that's the record that earns you that title. So it took a long time, but at a certain point, I knew that that was what I wanted, you know. And when was the moment where you realized that you could actually do this professionally? Um, professionally is a very weird word to use mm -hmm. in Lebanon, I'm going to say. <laughs> and anything, by <laughs> the way. Well said. We're, we're going to quote that. I yeah. can't really say professionally was like the idea I had in yeah. mind, but it was like seriously. Yeah. Competing, know? basically. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I grew up, as I said, like my whole life competing, mm. if you want, but I decided like um, the year I was about to graduate, so that was uh, 2009, was the same year, from school that is, was the same year that um, Lebanon was about to host one of the biggest competitions, which was the Francophone Games, so Jeux de la Francophonie. Oh, yeah. 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 Sorry, and Francophone games? Yeah. I remember they made a big deal about this. Yeah. It's called Francophone games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. you know Lebanon. I know. And, way to kiss know. up to the French, right, Lebanon. Yeah. Right? yeah. They made us yeah. do like a project about it when <laughs> Lebanon was hosting it uh -huh. in school. That's so cool, right? Mm. So I didn't really know about this whole thing, but I kind of was like, um, I had started training with Shamhur that, that like um, at the end of 2008, and I still wasn't taking it seriously. Like, 
Alice Kairouz was basically my coach and she would make me cry like why are you in your basketball shoes take the gum out of your mouth I'm like why am I even doing this like <laughs> but then anyway that summer bef- was the, it was going to be the francophone games right and then the national uh, federation the Fe- federation Taba Lebanon had um, some meets and competitions to choose who the national team was going to be and it was my first experience running at the Lebanese national championship and I won the 100 meters and the 200 meters and everyone's like who's this girl <laughs> like where'd she come from and um, basically I was chosen to be on the team I think the moment I knew like this is what I wanted was at the opening ceremony of the francophone games so the team had already spent like three months together we were sleeping at the dorms over there training morning and night and was like such a fun experience and then at the opening ceremony, I remember like we were the last team because you know, the host country, yeah. n- like the last team to enter the stadium. And Majda um, Rumi was singing and like <laughs> everyone was like so hyped. It was like, a show. It was a show, yeah, was, you know, like lights and uh, it was at nighttime. <laughs> and we, I was like so excited to like go and like walk through that tunnel and like get to the stadium. And I remember I started crying. It was so surreal. Like, hello, I'm the Yeah, and I was like crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm representing my country, you know? <laughs> like, this is so cool. And I feel like that was the moment I knew, like, I really wanted to do this because it's like, it's so beautiful being able to say you're representing your country while doing something you love and something you're good at. So, yeah, that's, that's how it started, I guess. <laughs> no, I think that's. That's such a nice story. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's such a nice story. We're, you, we're usually, yeah, no, because there, there is, to be very clear, uh, having done my research on you, you've uh, battled a lot of adversity to get to where you where you got. So yeah. I'm glad we got like a nice part of the story out. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, but it wasn't, I mean, it definitely wasn't it an wasn't easy road all, to get all there. rainbows and sunshine no, and butterflies. No, and yeah. you said something amazing, representing your country. Yeah. And... So you're half Liberian, half Lebanese, right? True. Okay. Um, I don't want to sound like a psychologist or anything, <laughs> but like, would you mind giving us the backstory? Like, how did your parents meet? Like, yeah, were you sure. born in Liberia? Or? Yeah, yeah. So basically, my parents met in Liberia because my yeah. dad was working there for the longest time. And um, that's where they had me in Liberia, obviously. Um, but then this is kind of personal but I know it's more details but anyway so my parents separated when I was three years old and at the age of six my mom moved to the states so that's why I was telling you guys I, I visit you go, her yeah, yeah. New York, uh, so Jersey Jersey yes yeah. shout out Jersey yeah. <laughs> shout out Jersey yeah so um, and I stayed in Liberia till the age of 10 um, with my dad and my stepmom um, and my two my brothers were born actually in Lebanon mm-hmm. but I know we were all living in Liberia so for my mom and dad it was just me and then my my dad got remarried and I had my two brothers who were also living there the thing is and at the age of 10 was when we moved to Lebanon and that was just because of the civil war in Liberia. Yeah, massive civil war. Was this the, the second civil war or the first civil war it in was Liberia? the sec- second. There were multiple ones. Do you have any memories back then? Of, of uh, Yes, for sure. I remember we were in school and I was like in fifth grade at the time. And our school, like our class, we have like a balcony. And then you can see like trees and buildings and stuff like that. But anyway, we heard like guns. And it was like nonstop guns and no one understood what was going on. I guess like the teachers probably knew, you know, you could 
feel like the build up like yeah. what's going on in lebanon at the, mm. at the time because we were kids so they're like oh my gosh something big's happening and i remember that night we had to leave the country and um it was the second time i was uh, no i I have I have a very vague memory of the first time we had to run away from Liberia, which was the time we had to get on a helicopter and get out of Liberia. But this time around, I remember standing on the balcony and thinking, "Oh my gosh, like this is gonna be my last time here." I had like an internal feeling where, where I knew like this was it. So I'm like I'm looking around, taking it all in, and knowing and no, I was I was never gonna see this place again. And we had to leave like. Um, they had charter flights for all Lebanese families. So we left, and uh, that's how I moved to Lebanon. H- how old were you when this I was happened? around 10 years old. 10 years old. Yeah. And so you moved to Lebanon, mm-hmm. and f- since then, up until now, you've been living in Lebanon most of your life, Most right? of my life, yeah. So do you feel at this point in time any connection towards Liberia? For sure. There's always a connection. I mean, I had the best childhood of, of my life, you know? when you think when i think of liberia it's like a very um fun time very international time like we were we were raised with people from all over the world um much more so than we went than what i have in lebanon or what i was like you know around in lebanon so i'm very grateful for that opportunity and then we had summer all year long because like we like i was born in november right but november for me was like summertime and then we'd spend like school which is like summertime nine months and then we'd come uh for for summer again in lebanon so i never had something called winter and so i remember the first time i came to lebanon in the winter time and then they're like we're gonna go to the snow i'm like there's okay. snow yeah. <laughs> like snow what is this snow? do i want to see snow yeah so um have you never been back to liberia since i i went back in 2008 oh, okay, nice. yeah and the thing is and uh, no um 2008 and then before that i was i was like i remember when i was 14 years old it had been eight years since i had seen my mom yeah Eight yeah, years. it took that wow. long. So this is the first time I actually say this on air. But wow. yeah. So um, when my mom moved to the States, there were like a lot of problems because usually Liberians get, it's easy for them to get like uh, visas to, to the States. And uh, she went there on a visiting visa, but you know, like she overstayed <laughs> like a lot of people yeah, do. But then yeah, she eventually yeah. ended up getting the citizenship and all That's of that because it's easier for Liberians to, to do that. But throughout that time, I couldn't even like get a visa to go visit her come and there were like some problems going on and um i remember like i had to go to liberia and she was coming as well and i was thinking like oh my gosh i'm about to meet my mom right now like <laughs> this is it was weird because yeah. back yeah. then there was no whatsapp mm. no video calls we used to send each other like tapes mm-hmm. like wow. for no me to hear her voice and of course like you'd call phones. every now and then yeah. 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 yeah but i remember the tapes thing was a really big thing and also letters and she was one of the people who made me really love writing letters so up till now like whenever i visit her i leave her a note or a letter around like she'd find it and um so i was thinking and no and the thing is we had a really strong connection even though we were li- mm-hmm. like really far apart and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm about to meet my mom. Like, will I feel this mother-daughter connection? Would it be weird? Would it be awkward? Would it be awkward yeah. and stuff like that? And so I was waiting for her at the airport. And as soon as she came out, like from the gate or whatever, and I'm looking at her, and then she's looking at me, and we're like crying. Mm. It was like such an intense moment as well. 
yeah but Minwata, like we i started like visiting more often to the u.s or stuff like that so last time i was in liberia was 2008 yeah. it's good it's good that you had a chance to go back because yeah yeah and well you left Liberia to come to Lebanon. I'm so sorry. I was I'm we, so we, sorry. Yeah, you and I you and I discussed that. this. I was telling Aziz over the phone like I'm so sorry that both sides Touche. have oh come from no. like really on you're going to Touche. She came out and then she's like two like honestly Hazik and your luck two very unstable countries. Uh-huh. Let's say unstable. unstable. Yeah, unstable, unstable is I think the politically yeah. correct word yeah. of saying unstable. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'm very I'm sorry that you had to endure. I mean, at least I can say from my side there was one stable country, but I didn't get to experience it that much. Um, so, so when you when you arrived to Lebanon, yeah. at this point you're you're staying with your dad and your stepmom. Yes. Um, how was yeah? How was the transition to Lebanon at the age of ten? Right. Yeah. So at that point, my dad stayed in Liberia because he wasn't going to leave the business and stuff like that. So it was just like me and my stepmom and my brothers. Um, just to make things clear, everyone wonders like, is it the Cinderella story with your stepmom <laughs> and stuff like that? Like, no, she like I was blessed at least with like I uh, I call her my mom as well. Yeah, you, know? you guys had a good relationship. Yeah, very good relationship. Mm-hmm. Like she raised me like one of her own. So I have mama and mom. That's mm. how like you know. So. Um, is there any jealousy between mama and mom? Or <laughs> no, thank no. God. They're like really good friends. That's amazing, <laughs> by the way. That's a blessing. Yeah, yeah. it is as well. Because I remember like if I had problems with my stepmom and she'd be like, you can't do this, which is like normal mom stuff. And then I'd call my mom and the other she won't let me do this. Like, I said, listen to your mom. I'm like, oh Lord, I can't get away with anything. Um, but anyway, um, where were we? Moving to Lebanon. <laughs> yeah, moving to Lebanon. Moving to Lebanon. So basically it was, it was a it was a hard move at first because you know it's the same old story little black girl moving to you know a little arab to a little middle eastern country yeah, yeah. middle eastern country i mean i was already used to being around middle easterners and arabs and stuff like that so it wasn't something new and i spoke perfect arabic so mm. it's not like what are they saying or yeah, what are they it talking wasn't a culture about? shock yeah it wasn't a cult- culture shock at, at all and we used to spend like summers over here and stuff like that but um I think being put in an environment or in a class with people who aren't really exposed to diversity was the hard part, you know? So I feel like even though the first couple of months were very hard for me, but I left there knowing and I kind of put the diversity around and made Mm -hmm. people more acceptable Mm -hmm. of like, or more accepting of um, other other whether it's color, religion, or whatever, you know? Because I know we said we don't talk about religion, but it was also one of the shocks I had when people were asking me, what religion Mm. are you from? It was like, other than the color thing. And I'm like... How people really cared about that. Yeah, it was like, it it wasn't stuff I was exposed to over there. But um, after the whole um, minor, I would say minor bullying stuff that Mm. I had or minor bullying stints that I had to go through, the same people who were my bullies became my best friends, (laughs) you know? And uh, I feel like I'm blessed on that front as well because if it weren't for like the support I had from my family, they'd be like, you know, you're strong, this is okay. Uh, Don't be, you know, don't don't be aggressive towards them as well. Try to like, you know, show them the good side of you and stuff like that. So it all came together in a positive way eventually. So I didn't have to go, I didn't have to go through this for a Mm -hmm. very long time. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, I don't know how good your memory is, but uh, you told, you told us that you studied in Shoifet and Sabis, right? And do you remember how your first day there was like? (laughs) It's so funny. Like your first day of school. Yeah, it's so funny because I only remember a, a, like a really, 
it's a vague memory mm. but it's the only memory i really have of the first day yeah. because i remember i went into class and i had my parents like told me all the rules about the school for example like no jewelry or like hair up all the time and stuff like that so i sat next to this girl and we didn't know there was like a seating chart you know so i just sat anywhere and she was new as well and um i looked at her and we smiled at each other and then like i looked down at her shoes and she's wearing sandals and then i'm like why is she wearing sandals like doesn't she know there are no sandals allowed th- those were part of the rules anyway so that girl became my best friend mm. and we're still best friends till now yeah. so nice. thank thanks to birkenstock <laughs> this, this, this was a good this was a good plug yeah. this was a good advert for birkenstock yeah so yeah. that's basically the the only, the only first memory. day memory that i have how about mentally like going in were you a bit nervous or were of you going course i mean like even now as adults like if you have a new job mm-hmm. or even True. if you a new yeah. interview like right now you have yeah. those like jitters you know yeah, the goosebumps yeah, yeah you know but it was like of course it was much bigger than that because like i was going to a completely new exactly. place mm-hmm. and yeah. um I, like i dropped my little brothers off as well because mm-hmm. they were like in nursery and kg1 i think yeah. and i had to go um to my class and it was like i didn't know where stuff was mm. and stuff like that so did you consciously know going in that you might be maybe a bit of an outsider or you not might be really. a bit di- okay was that something that not really i think okay. when you're 10 you're not really you're not you're not yeah. exposed, not really exposed to, to thinking that, yeah. like yeah. that yeah yeah, yeah. like mm. i i never thought you know it's something that kind of existed because in my mind like i was already around lebanese people for the longest mm. time in liberia because it wasn't just like you know international people it was yeah. also lebanese uh, like a huge lebanese community you know so i didn't think you know it was an issue yeah. you think it'd be smooth transition yeah, yeah like who would think and no why would you ever put in a child's mind like color is an issue the, yeah. in- the innocence you know? of a child like, yeah. be careful like you know you're you're different or you know people are gonna say something because you're different be like why would they say something mm. like you yeah. Know? yeah yeah so it's interesting because we're people talking are assholes yeah. <laughs> in essence yeah. in essence yeah. we did like a, we did like a poll last week a questionnaire on our insta stories about talking like is lebanon considered the most progressive country in the middle east okay and we <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god that reaction's too that good reaction, yeah, like, okay. not from my experience <laughs> exactly but uh, and in my opinion and so many people there was a lot of debate in our dms people saying their opinions and giving different countries or agreeing with that statement yeah and the way that i look at it is that if lebanon is considered the most progressive in the area then our area is shit right like th- th- that's 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 the conclusion yeah our area yeah. is shit man. yeah like there's no like if, if this it if is shit if this country lebanon where we like make fun of people like oh intawahad mongoli or intawahad <laughs> sur like if if we refer if we make if we use derogatory terms on people based off people's nationalities yeah and we're considered or progressive races, right yeah. and so the thing is you know maybe it's uh, for people who uh we consider ourselves progressives because and no let's say nahna we come from uh acs or educated IC, backgrounds you know, yeah. like educated backgrounds and all of that stuff but at the same time the most educated people you could still find to be the most racist or the most, most uh unprogressive yeah, yeah. people on earth you know so it's not it's not it's not a given like if you're educated that means like yeah the farm or like your culture your culture yeah. or stuff like that so it's something that 
even up till now, like sometimes I go like, you know, they tell me, you know, la la, hey, I'm like, you know, so. That's true. That does, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, it, that does not mean like they're gonna be a good person or a good good Most human. Mm. And no, there's a difference between like education and being well read yeah. and like morals and morality. Yeah, 100%. for sure. I, it's, it's a lot of it is how you're raised, but even more than how you're raised is peer pressure. Yeah. So some people might be saying shit that they don't mean, but they say it because it's like. I'll get a laugh out of my friends and, and maybe, maybe you know, I'll look cooler in front yeah. of their eyes. And, uh, so, and I mean, I saw that in school. To as be well. honest, like, I'm not going to come down and sit here and be like, I was the perfect kid. Yeah. Even I gave into that peer pressure. Like, I would sometimes go stay in Tawahad, Mongolia or Surah or whatever, because at a young age, when you're like 12 or 13 years old, as you said, you're not really exposed to making fun of somebody based on their skin color or where they come from. You just think everybody else is saying it. So it's fine for me to say it. It's not until you grow older, you look back at it and you're like, Shit, man, that's a bit fucked up. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not, I'm not going to say, you know, it's the kid's fault or whatever. Mm. We're just in a society 100%. that normalizes this yeah. stuff, normalizes terms. Like, mm. y- uh, for example, like, uh, I've spoken about this before, but in Lebanon, uh, for a very huge part of the society, the word black, so if you're saying I'm a black person, mm. they'd be like, hey, Dabde, mm. which means a you know, slave. slave. That's a literal yeah. translation of it, you know? So it's just in our vocabulary. And mm. yeah. like, how, how, how do people say, like, the vacuum cleaner is a Hoover? Mm. So they think, you know, okay, so a person that works at, at a house, like, you know, the maid yeah. or the helper, or Filipini, or so, so those are the terms people use. So unless families really teach their kids, you know that's not a term to be used the kids will use it so i'm not blaming the kids but we need to have like more awareness about this and maybe people think you know it's not such a huge issue because lebanon isn't diverse but you no know, lebanese people are going labarra let's say or people so we need to make this an issue because it is you know it's those minor issues that add up to make a the bigger picture and right now to be honest, I'm sure so many podcasts and so many people talk about like how horrible of a country Lebanon is for for like, you know, people in Buddha or people of color or stuff like that. It's so sad. Like Lebanon is like a huge part of who I am. And I and I feel so bad what uh, I hear negative things about that, you know. We all I know do. I feel it's it's it's, it's not my Lebanon. Mm. It's not the Lebanon it's, that it's represents not ones, me. Yeah. No. You know. Yeah, we had a guest who mentioned that mm-hmm. we have this habit in Lebanon of like relegating certain ethnicities to jobs. Yes. So for sure, uh, if you're a domestic worker, you're an Ethiopian or a Filipino. Uh, if you're I in construction, <laughs> exactly, in yeah. Bangladeshi, yeah. or if you're this, you're Syrian. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. And. Um, Look, I'm sorry, we fell Yeah, let, bro, better, better for these nationalities cool. to leave. Um, but like, it's it's such a tough thing because how do you break that? At the end of the day, these people are coming here because they they're need jobs, they living. need opportunities, yeah. they're trying to earn a living. So, is it like, do we need to provide more education? Do we need to do more to? For sure. What what like what can we do to you get know, people to know? You know, and no, sometimes I realize like when I talk about this stuff and I say, Okay, so when I was in school, someone called me Selenki or whatever. Let me go back to that point of saying and no. It does not affect me when people call me Selenki as if it's a bad thing. The word Selenki or the nationality Selenki is like... It's a nationality. It's a nationality. <laughs> and they have a beautiful It's country. like saying you're of Norwegian. Course. Okay, you I'm Norwegian. Yeah, <laughs> Their country you know? is so nice. But what I hate about that is how derogatory they make it 
sound like? Why are you incorporating such uh, negativity into 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 such a ethnicity, beautiful yeah. ethnicity? You know what I mean? So again, when someone calls another person a Mongoli mm. or whatever, Bengali, yeah, you know what like I mean. It's it's not a negative term. So I'm not uh, feeling bad because they're calling me this term i'm feeling bad about uh, no why do you think this term is gonna make me feel bad why, why, have, you, why have you made this term they're all yeah gone. why have you made it hey you know you, you're trying to put me down but you know you're using this word like why why do you think you know this is something like you know again people are assholes yeah and they're stupid assholes exactly but that's how it goes back you're you were saying and how do you think we're going to change that and i feel like it has to go back to the parents so maybe this is our generation or you know the generation the generation that are really cultured if you think you're gonna travel and go like yeah i'm gonna go to, to this trip to sri lanka because i wanna you know uh woohoo vegan boohoo whatever stuff and stuff like that you know a lot of people have been going to those trips yeah. and i respect that but at least bring that with you and teach the people around you you know sri lanka is a beautiful country sri lanka people are really beautiful people and it's not a derogatory term and please wherever because in no we're almost at that point as Lebanese we're almost at that point where we don't even have enough money to stay in our own countries we're gonna be looking for jobs but any job to make dollars or euros or whatever to bring back to our families and we need uh, people to respect us and we expect them to ex to, to, to respect us while maybe karma is going to turn it <laughs> around and you know we're going to be known as the really bad people like I think I think that's already you know? the case by the way like yeah. we, without us even knowing and the yeah. sad thing is that as you're saying a lot of us are being forced to leave the country so these people that are being forced to leave the country yeah. are the ones who are supposed to sit down and help educate other yes. people about these matters and if these people are leaving you're just gonna i'm not gonna call them degenerates but you're gonna have the more close-minded people forming echo chambers within yes. this country and it's not gonna be very progressive at all on the like country it's gonna go backwards yeah did you see this video of the i think it was like ethiopian workers or kenyan workers on the mm -hmm. street protesting no, no not on the street at the airport ah yeah they were leaving that was amazing <laughs> Even i mean like you you'd understand how they got to that point no matter how like like i was looking like okay so you know i feel where the anger is coming from no matter like at they come in i don't believe in you know fighting anger with anger but in come in you'd understand where that is coming from like you know so Aziza, you know you know the scary thing the scary thing is and you, you spoke about domestic workers yeah. when you have something called the kafala system in a country yes oh my dear that Lord. means that that your government has not protected yeah protected anyone against bigotry or racism that's true. as simple as that your government true. is endorsing modern day slavery that's so true that's uh, what that, it is that, that's the quote slavery. that's the sentence yeah. it's modern day slavery For and sure. and when when it comes from a government level then it's systemic because the i don't think we should even get into that i don't want to get into it no no no, no what because our government I, I, is 100 percent. and yeah. but that's we're talking we, about this topic we yes. want to we always yes. we always like the whole point of this podcast is we don't want to talk about politics yeah. but when we get to the root of problems and talking about socio-cultural things it always comes back to it them it always comes back to and that. and it's it's NGOs doing the work. Yeah. It's people doing the work yeah. to educate and yeah. and and to the open them. Organizations hundred percent for sure. Hundred percent, and um, not to get into them because they are a bunch of assholes. fucking scum. Is that a, is that a nice word? <laughs> nice <laughs> word. It's not, 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 not big enough. Not hard enough. Bro. 
fucking scum for now for now Cause. but uh, uh, when you when you came here and when you, you you said there was mild bullying did you did you find that sports was an outlet to fit in like i think so mm. i mean it wasn't an outlet to fit in but i feel like every single kid or every single human you know needs a place where they feel like they belong or that they shine mm. or that they can give something you know uh, uh, even uh, and get like a clap of appreciation in return and i feel like i had the opportunity to to shine in the sports you know sector at school because i i became known as like the fast girl the you know the the basketball did that star piss you off you know. no oh, okay i mean like it was never yeah. something i i don't i'm i don't think i take stuff negatively ever like, yeah, i don't I think you do actually <laughs> <laughs> i'm dead like i always try to look at the bright side and i think that's what really helped me get through lebanon i think but um because i know i've i've had even up till now like i think a few days ago this is a very silly story, but a few days ago, my sister was um, on a call with her friends. And again, my sister is eight, 17 years mm -hmm. old. And generation, the new generation, yeah. you know, so uh, she was like, guys, say hi to my sister. It's her new gr group of friends. Like I know some of them, others I don't. And then they're like, uh, oh, no, she said, uh, the guy was like, oh, uh, can I say hi? She, she was like, yeah. And then he was like, hi. And then I'm like, hi, guys. And then I turned, and then I heard her saying, how are you talking like that? And I'm like, get away from here. What? And then like he closed the phone and he left because he felt so ashamed. But what did he say? He said, basically, um, uh, are you from Ethiopia? I speak Ethiopian very well. Oh. You know what oh. I mean? The stereotypical. Like, uh, it's the typical yeah. thing. Like, they see a black person and mm. they associate that with that. As much as it's like, it's not something that I take like super negatively because uh, no, we're in Lebanon. Like, <laughs> that's, oh my gosh, like we're in Lebanon. That's the worst know? excuse. Like we're in Lebanon. These things it are okay. Sad, they happen. It's sad that that it's should be an excuse. That it still happens. It's sad. And no, and no, and no. I I don't get it. Like I I don't get it. Like maybe in a negative way okay he's really trying to be friendly. Like oh I speak Ethiopian so let's talk yeah, or whatever. Like why are are like why is this generation bad on him when they you when these I mean? when these comments come out of like pure ignorance because i really feel like he, you maybe you're right he was trying to be nice yeah. you know but it's like, being misinformed you, maybe do, do you uh. know so little that this is the only comment that you can say <laughs> yeah. like come on but that, some people yeah. really do it on purpose but so that's the thing about lebanon like if that's you get anybody like that looks people. a bit like a person of color a person yeah. from east asia yeah. and or a person from india or pakistan if you get anybody like oh i'm gonna They're get automatically in a box exactly like you, you're gonna be looked at like let's yeah. say we're like five lebanese sitting in a room and you have one of these individuals walk into the room there's always gonna be even if they don't say anything it's gonna be that awkward look like mm -hmm. you know, you're different mm -hmm. like you know even if you're in a different country because yeah. i've seen it in the uk where i'm with yeah. lebanese people that's true and a person from one of these countries walks in yeah there's already that look you know, imagine in the uk in lebanese the UK. people do this shit. yeah but do you feel, I've do you feel the opposite so. I know, mm -hmm. if you're with a group of people on from the country the UK and like then they're looking at you in a different way Does when i was happen? living in london i always had like i was friends with people from so many different nationalities yeah. and when i was in university the nice thing about london is that people always uh, integrate with each other yeah, yeah and you have people like groups you don't have most of the people like like instead of lebanese all being lebanese you have people from all around the globe That's chilling true. with each other so when I would join them, they won't even care. Of course. Like, oh, you're Lebanese, cool. Oh, don't you have this in your country? Yeah. Hummus, tabbouleh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I've never, ever felt 
people were actually racist or looked at me differently because yeah. of my nationality. I feel like it's the opposite. They kind of like are intrigued and want to know. 100%. That's how I feel come in. Like if I'm in the States, I'll, mm. like they, I'm already like a person of color or stuff like that. But if they know I'm from the Middle East, they want to know more. They want to know more. You know, it's not like a look of like, oh my gosh, she's mm. from the Middle East. Get you away know? from me. Yeah, <laughs> Can like, I catch that? <laughs> yeah, 9-11? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like people are just, more intrigued Intriguing, and yeah. i feel like that's also part of the education system and um exposure as exposure well. yeah it's like but again it's like the government's part mm. you yeah. know of making it more of like let's teach our generations to mm. be more accepting and stuff like that you, you said something that it, it comes from exposure and you said your time in sabis when you came and when you left were, were very different so what do you think you did to kind of educate people and open their eyes was it just being there or did you actually have to explain and, and educate not really i think because as a child you don't think about the whole explanation thing it's just like my i don't want to say my presence as if it's like oh my presence, my presence. <laughs> yeah but i mean like just being exposed to like people of like different uh, whether it's color or whatever and stuff like that but i was just like friends with everyone and i think um being um, a star athlete as a because like there was this one point where my poster was like on the school's yeah. front like entrance and stuff like that but you know having someone who's different being there kind of like indirectly you know makes people more accepting mm -hmm. you know so um if i'm just talking about like my class for example because i'm not going to go into this whole big thing but you know i kind of did make those bullies my friends you know so it's like and it's like people from like um okay i'm not gonna say that maybe you can cut that out <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know yeah so it's like people from uh different cultures who whose parents maybe wouldn't accept you know different yeah, people I, I you know what i mean, mean yeah. so uh that's the little change that i you killed kinda, the, you killed the kindness back, yeah. yeah you know when i look back i'm like okay so <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was my inner Beyonce. <laughs> but yeah, like right now, sports also play like I've seen it as well in the West, especially during the seventies. How sports play such an important role in order to break down like racist divides between people. I think Magic Johnson. I watched a documentary about Magic Johnson. He used to live in Lansing, Michigan, and there was this thing about busing in the states in the seventies, where they had to force the white kids and the black kids to go together to school in the buses, and they'd always fight. And he said the thing that brought them together in his school was basketball. Like if it wasn't basketball, they wouldn't have been like there was a lot of fights going on and people would get beat up, even killed sometimes. That's true. So I could easily imagine how you being a sports star in your school helped break that divide to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, but of course in Lebanon it's not that huge. It's not like you know the racial divide yeah. like that's in the U.S. But because uh, our racism is completely yeah, different. Yeah, but well, using that ex because yeah. that's super extreme yes. and how that helped yes. over there is yes. a great example. For, so for sure, it's kind of yeah. like similar in a certain way. Yeah. How weird it is that racism developed so much that you have types of racism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, You have yeah. a category. Yeah, yeah. This is some class A yeah, racism. Yeah. Like, this is the one with extra salt. <laughs> yes. This has garlic. This, this is like low quality yeah, racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. have like, like corporate racism, yeah. like in work racism in the workplace. Yeah, for sure. But but when you were competing, you didn't. You didn't feel it as much, right? Or were there? No, mm. especially because, like, I think it's because you know, uh, in the sports world, uh, you would categorize if we're talking about basketball or sprints, sprints or like you know, running. They'd say, you know, the black people have an advantage. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we've all, we've so, all heard. Yeah, so we've all heard. So it wouldn't be like, okay, it would be like, oh my gosh, she's gonna beat us. And it's true. Like, yeah, you know. So before you'd even 
fucking show your skill it's like she's gonna beat us yeah, yeah. but it's not always the case but again it's like you mm. know uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a stereotype. It's a stereotype. Yeah. Says the fastest <laughs> woman in Lebanon. No, it's not always. But yeah, but just beat everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's like, yeah, it's not it's true, like but at the same time, I beat fucking everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you you were supposed to. You're one of the two contenders who was supposed to go to the 2020 Olympics in Japan. Yeah. Right. And awesome. <laughs> how did that feel though when you realized that the Olympics were postponed? It was uh, kind of like a great feeling for me, really? to be honest. You know why? because um i'm gonna tell you why <laughs> so <laughs> so because um basically i had just moved from jamhur which was like my club for the past 10 years to Antony. so it was like new club new coach and stuff like that and usually it takes like a four-year cycle for an athlete to prepare for the olympics because the olympics is like every four years mm-hmm. so um i moved to Antony end of 2018 so from end of 2018 till summer of 2020 that's only like two years of preparation and i feel like um it took me the first year of training with Anthony. it was kind of like a uh transformation phase where like i'm trying to adapt or adaptation phases about like i'm trying to adapt to the tough training and it was the same year that i left my job and decided to like focus purely on track and field and training so i'd be training like twice a day and it wasn't it was kind of like something very new to me the intensity of the trainings and how things were going and stuff like that it was very new very hard and my coach Elise was like you know if I tell her I'm tired she'd be like okay like she'd adapt my trainings to me but then this new coach was like no you have to do this and I'm like oh dictator you know like it was yeah it was kind of like very different uh, on that front and I broke the record before I moved to Antony Mm -hmm. um but it was just like two months, uh, four months of training with Anthony, and I broke the record again. It was like 0.02 seconds difference, and that's like the, the hundred, like so, so it's 0.02 seconds. But um, so I feel like I gained an extra year of training, mm-hmm. and it's something that's to my advantage. Yeah. So this year, I feel like I'm way better than I was last year, mentally, physically my body changed so much i'm uh, more mature mentally hatta like i'm ready and i i'm, I'm you're really more confident like, about yeah yourself. i'm more confident and the thing is you know you said one of the two contenders and maybe we're more than that because everyone wants the spot and I mean, Abed, they used to take one guy and one girl from lebanon but now they're taking one person Oof. yeah and they decide according to a certain table of points so other countries like if you're talking uk us you have spots uh so um for the 100 meters they have like three people for the 200 meter they have three people and whatever and it's according to if they make the the required time we don't get to that required time <laughs> like mm. it's um, probably according like uh, which political party do you support ah who you has support the best them connection or, uh, yeah. come on. Yeah. but i'm not as good as her it's not okay that, thankfully. Really? Yeah. that's how my yeah, mind yeah. just goes because with it's the international olympic committee who sets a standard okay fine and if you mm. don't make that standard there's another rule where according to your time or um let's say distance if you're a jumper mm-hmm. or a thrower and stuff like that so for example if i have 11.73 seconds that's the 100 meter record it gives me a certain number of points and then you can compare me to another to a guy to a thrower mm-hmm. to a runner to whoever other events and they also get points mm-hmm. right so they choose the person with the highest number of points 
to go to whether it's the world championship to the olympics and stuff like that so now the person with the highest number of points in lebanon gets to go to the olympics you know so that's why i'm saying and so far it's between me and my training partner because we have the highest number of points and um we were so excited because before we're like okay yay guy and girl woo, we'll make it together and stuff like that but now like okay so i'm training with the same person who like i'm gonna be competing with for that spot it's kind of weird it is it is but it's also like very it's fun i mean it's fun but how's your relationship like because you guys are like <laughs> trying to get that same yeah, it's like i love you but it, <laughs> when you're not looking i'll fucking hit you over the head with a frying pan I mean, fortunately, we have a really good relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, we're really, really, really great friends. And we really do push each other to the max. And I feel like that's what we need. So at the end of the day, no matter who gets the spot, whether it's me, him, or other people, you know, we're going to be giving it our all, you know? So I'm pushing myself way past anything I ever thought I could push myself to get to. So, yeah. But do you think, because this is my perspective on you, we spoke about fleeing from the civil war. We spoke about coming... (laughs) <laughs> to another war-torn country <laughs> essentially which and dealing with discrimination and yeah and on top of all of that shit that you had to go go through you have something which we haven't spoken about called uh, hamstring syndrome which is mm-hmm. you would know better than me it's um i just read that it's incurable <laughs> which was like a scary thing so if yeah. you'd mind talking to us about that yeah so um i basically said and uh, no I, I talked about how i started professionally representing Lebanon in 2009 and 2010 I I got second place in the Arab Junior Championship in Egypt which was like a one of my you know most notable achievements and then I was selected to go to the World Junior Championship so I was also like around 18 years old and they choose one person again according to points and I did a lot of stuff after that. And then everyone was saying like, wow, Aziz is the next big thing. Like she's gonna be the person to break the records and stuff like that. And end of 2011, I I, I kept, you know, having this re, re-recurring injury. And it was like my hamstring, it, it would hurt so much and stuff like that. And I wouldn't know why, cause I went to physical therapist, the best physical therapist in Lebanon, the best, you know, doctors and stuff like that. And no one would know what was going on. Oh. They'd be like, it's psychological. I'm like, <laughs> What but I'm fine. Psychological. Like the thing is, like I couldn't sit and I'd be in pain. I'd stand and I'd be in pain. I'd be driving to uni and I'd be in pain. And like there was no cure or whatever. And and that's when a few years later, the doctor told me, and this is called hamstring syndrome. And they actually tried the first um, trial of something called, you know, like how the coronavirus vaccine. So I was like the first person in who actually tried the uh, PRP. So it's like uh, uh, plasma rich platelets, mm-hmm. platelets that or something like that. Scary, so yeah. they take the blood, they take blood from you, and then they take the white blood cells and then like re inject them to your body. And it kind of like helps um, heal. Re, you know, faster and stuff like that. But then now, you, you know, they figured out they had to do it more than once. But they tried that on me and it wouldn't work as well. So I was at this point in my life where I was thinking, like, why am I even doing this? Like, I wasn't e- able to, to run the 100 or the 200. I wasn't able to make the teams. And if I tried to run, I would be in so much pain. And then from one point being, like, number one to, like not even making it you know anywhere anywhere near competitions and the people who used to who i used to like run faster than were running much faster than i was so it was a very very tough time for me but then eventually i learned how to 
live with it and kind of like work around it. So at this point in time, thankfully, uh, I do not feel it anymore. But what are, sorry, if I ask, what are the limitations of hamstring syndrome? Is it just what is it? What, what is, is it? What, like, what what is, it? is there tightness? So is basically, it? Um, there are like little tears in your hamstring. So if it's like a big tear, you can get a surgery or whatever, you know. Uh, or like wait a certain time and then it would heal. You don't need a surgery basically for hamstring pain and stuff like that. But holy little tears, like I don't understand why um, they weren't healing. But then now there are techniques like, you know, with time and maybe because we were in Lebanon, what the deal is. Because yeah. I remember I used to talk to my friend in Jamaica and this guy won, I, I mean, he got third place at the Olympics in the 110 meter hurdles. And he'd be like, Aziza, if you had the hamstring problem in Jamaica, you'd be over it in like a month maximum. Yeah. Like, oh, please don't tell me that. <laughs> and it took me like two, three years of me not running my race, which is like the 100 meters at the time. I hated the 200, by the way. So it took me like three years to be able to run that race again. And then it took me like the best time I had in the 100 meters was back in 2010. And it wasn't until 2014 till I ran better than that time. So just imagine like how long it was. And okay, so I, I, I graduated uni in 2012. And while I was working, I kept training. But I feel like all that time, I wasn't really taking it seriously, you know? And I feel like that's because of the environment we are in in Lebanon. It doesn't make you feel like uh, sports is something important. Yeah. Like it's a hobby. Even up till now, I, I like a lot of people tell me like, "What are you doing with your life? Do you just run?" I'm like, "You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you could you could do that. You know. Unfortunately, like, yes, if I were in another country, maybe I'd I'd I would have had better opportunities to be better, 100%. to 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 run faster, to not just rely on points." To, to go to the Olympics, you know, like I'd actually make the time because things would have been different. How I, I trained as a kid would have affected, you know, me running better and stuff like that. But we're just not in that country, unfortunately. But hopefully one day we that, would be. That's so interesting that you mentioned that because um, even the fact that you're the fastest woman in Lebanese history, none of us have heard of it. Yeah. You know, it was not by it, chance. We yeah. Found it, it, you yeah, know, we have sure. to really look for it and we have to look for interesting guests and you came along mm -hmm. and and um it's it's a few things i want to ask you it's you know i think i know the answer but do you feel celebrated enough for the achievement that you've done and um mm. not more than that how do you how do you make it a professional career because yeah. i know that at one point you're working in the family business yes and you said no i need to i need to follow my passion i need to pursue my passion so yeah like those two things i just kind of wanted to okay so as a career in lebanon it's not something that you uh, you could live off of um again i was fortunate enough to have like really supportive parents who from a young age really you know helped me uh uh they, they pushed me to like yes you should follow your goals do whatever you want and stuff like that so me working with the family business was actually something positive for me because you know i travel a lot as an athlete and um, by the way, so the federation pays for all of our travels. Mm -hmm. So it's not like out of pocket or stuff like that. So if I have a world championship, uh, Arab championship, West Asian, whatever, and stuff like that, the national team uh, expenses are all covered by the federation. Um, 
and like gym stuff like if I, I go to the gym i go to a track those are covered by the clubs mm-hmm. so i've never paid the gym membership ever no it's so nice. i feel that's, like that's, that's pretty cool hook us yeah. up man. We're, getting, we're getting kind of fun it's gonna be really weird once i stop like doing this professionally but yeah so i've never paid the gym membership so i have like sponsorships as a badak from from different places like my club right now Anthony and uh, covers all of that stuff and stuff like that but can you make money out of it as like a, a way to live no um so again if my f- parents or my family wasn't supportive maybe i wouldn't be able to do this mm. you know as a career is a batak. but i chose to actually not worry about making money and uh pursuing you know riches glory or whatever yeah. <laughs> to actually like be a better version of myself mm. you realize in life like life is so short for you not to be doing something that you love for you to actually be working a nine to five job and just like you know let's accumulate wealth and try to buy this and do that and stuff like that like that's just not me i'm not saying that's wrong of course people some people love that but everybody has to follow a certain passion they have in life and i feel like if i'm able to show people like you can do this in a certain way and hopefully it's going to be easier for the next generation to actually do that like why not i am so happy and i feel like the 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 whole lockdown thing made me really realize and know if the world ended today would i be happy and i'm like oh my gosh like yes Mm. you know i'm doing something i'm really passionate about while at the same time being able to represent my country and putting lebanon out there on a pedestal and you asked if i if i feel like i'm celebrated enough even though it would be nice to be celebrated it's not like my ultimate goal hopefully like um, if I just like I, sometimes I receive you know random messages on Instagram like and stuff like that and it's, it makes me so happy like to see like boys and girls or men and women telling me like oh my gosh like you motivate me to work harder you're such a you're such an inspiration for me and stuff like that so just that alone is a is a really great payback for me you know like it's a, it's it, it makes me feel happy like okay so maybe i i put something positive mm. out there I did do something. You know? when did they postpone the olympics for i think next year it's next july and it's going to be for every four years since yeah. then so are we fucking with the fall even no 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 it's, it's going to be three gonna, years it's going to be three years after, after that yeah, yeah. so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it's still going like, to be the even right, sorry i have to <laughs> we, know, we, we need we need to get you to the olympics whether we we, yes. we have to subsidize it or whatever the fuck can we give you points if i run very slowly can you take my points yeah okay we'll give you we'll just throw points you. <laughs> but like uh yeah there's also the topic that you're talking about for a bit and ryan also brought it up and it's about like sports in this country in general and i trained personally kickboxing for 15 oh years. jesus fucking no God. dude but listen 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 I'm yeah not you and aziz myself. are the same i'm not talking about yeah. no i'm not i'm talking about the talent that i saw yeah. in the academy over there yeah they would go compete representing lebanon in austria in japan mm-hmm. in the uk in spain and there would be so many people that would win gold medals in these yeah and the coach would always complain about one thing all of these tournaments were not even subsidized by the government mm. the club and the people had to pay yeah. and they had even people that were so talented that ca- couldn't even afford to That's go on true. these uh, flights That's and true. go to these tournaments yeah and then if you go deeper like when i look at football i think football is a very popular sport over here mm-hmm. but w- and i see so much talent on the streets when i'd go up to my mountain house and play with people from the village i see so many talented people yeah. but as you were saying there's so many people that can't afford to do this even as a hobby because they need to make money to That's survive true. and if they're gonna go pr- play at the club the wages are so fucking shit so it goes back to the government it goes again. back to the government and <laughs> fuck the government fuck the government but you 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 mentioned something i've i've seen in previous interviews that you don't like 
okay, an athlete's career is, is kind of finite. It's going to last at a certain That's point. That's true. And you've mentioned something like you want to fucking help change the industry. Like you want to put more awareness out there. So when you're done, when your career as an athlete is over, what are the next few steps to do this? Yeah. So basically, um, I never expected myself to continue with this like sports career and take it to the next level, like uh, work wise and stuff like that. But I realized because this is such a huge passion for me, like this is definitely what I want to do. And it goes back again to Lebanon. Like I have the opportunity to actually stay in the U.S. and just live there. But I feel like um, uh, I, I, I need to come back and help here. So I got accepted to a master's degree in sports management um, in Boston. And I'm also still applying to other sports related fields like industrial psychology of sports which would which would deal with that's like, very interesting yeah with the whole it's actually just industrial psychology mm. but i decided to add the sports part because mm. you know we need to do a thesis a master's mm -hmm. thesis and stuff like that and i would definitely be applying it to lebanon and try to change like the the whole structure structure mm. you know Hopefully the government would allow us to do that. But again, that's what NGOs are for. And that's what people who are passionate about sports are for. Like my coach is a really passionate person about sports. And I feel like at this point, um, he's really been helping me so much with like the guidance necessary to, you know, uh, he, he's shown me that there is hope in the sports world. Like his whole, his whole thing is all in sports. Like, he owns uh, the gym where I train. He actually has a sports technical school that he opened and he's thinking about like opening more branches. And like, um, he also coaches the basketball national team, like the physical preparation for national basketball team and the football team. Mm. And like, he's so into the sports He's world. involved in all sectors. Basically. In all sectors of sports. And like, he made me see like, yes, there is an opportunity to actually like, we can't do this if you want to do it you're gonna do it you know and he's one of those people who says like no we're not gonna leave lebanon like we're gonna make lebanon great again make lebanon great again so um it's it's uh, something that i'm really passionate about now like if it doesn't work for me at least i really want to try mm. to make it better for the future at least generations you, try it, yeah. you know yeah of course like i'm trying i'm giving it my all like mm. i'm working my ass off at the moment but anjad like i really want to make it much easier for the next generation mm. hopefully aziza yeah. honestly like uh i think on behalf of all of us it's safe to say like thank you for what you've done <laughs> for lebanon i, I know it's it nothing. hasn't been celebrated but uh it's it's being the fastest woman in lebanese history coming from the difficulties you have All to deal with. All the that you face. It's really just amazing. Yeah, it's just it's just me doing what mm. I love, you know. Yeah. So I feel like every person, no matter what we're going through, we just have to have like this positive mentality and use all the negativities as lessons to get better so it's not like okay yalla khalas, we're just in this negative situation and give up you know so yeah, yeah and hopefully Such wisdom yeah. <laughs> in 2022 uh, minister of sports i think that, i think there's a minister <laughs> of sports yeah. right there is such a yeah, thing yeah, 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 but yeah. even that by the way even that like fadil khatib was offered to do that he said fuck no because it's full of corruption yeah. Yeah. hopefully when we reform yeah. and there's a, there's new faces people who are, are progressive secular and want to, and, and yeah. want, and want to actually yeah. improve the country I, I hope when when your career as an athlete is over you have that sort of position and hopefully your story will inspire so many others aziza thank you so much thank pleasure thank you guys yeah. for having me and like for putting my story out there it's so it's been a pleasure being here with you guys
Thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Anrami, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm a Sabal. Thank you. Also, we'd love your feedback, so please DM us on Instagram at Fauda2020.